Welcome everyone to the Hadaskina podcast. Today it is episode 20, the Jorge Posada episode. Uh, we are here with uh, Enrique and John. John is back. Uh, we are here to talk about the recap of the Cubs series, talk about the upcoming race series. We have a very special guest, Sweeney Murdy, joining the show today. Very excited about this. It's going to be a great show. Really looking forward to it. And we'll be right back. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Ahí va. Por el desfile. Olvídala. Se va a la calle. En la, en la calle. Esa se va. Se va. Se fue. And we're back. First off, let me uh, bring on my co-hosts. But first, Enrique, how's it going? How you doing, Sean? Happy to see you leading the show, man. Proud of you. Yeah, yeah, doing the best I can. <laughs> but uh, and John, John, uh, welcome back. How how's everything going? Doing okay. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me back. It's good to be back. Uh, good to see you leading the show as well. Uh, thanks for holding it down for me. Uh, I appreciate the both of you for for welcoming me into the Hadaskina family, and uh, I'm just glad to be doing. Uh, the best I can and, and good enough to, for you guys to keep me around, <laughs> but uh, let's, let's talk some baseball. You know, uh, a lot went down this, this weekend. Uh, it was a, it was a very fun weekend for Yankee fans. I, I think, I think many could say coming home from the twin series, the Yankees didn't get home till around 5. AM had the Cubs the very next night. Uh, the Yankees won on Friday night, two to one in 13 innings, the longest, game the Yankees have played all season and I think tied for the longest in baseball in a combined stat both teams went one for 42 with runners in scoring position I don't know about you guys but that's uh, that's a tough game to watch but I I will say that in uh in a game like that where it ends two to one in 13 innings you, you got to give a lot of credit to the pitching staff for both ends and you know, we're, we're a Yankees podcast, so I'm going to focus mainly on, on the Yankees pitchers here. But uh, I, I first I'd give it off to Severino, six innings, one run ball. He gave up the, the opposite field home run to, to Jason Hayward, which I think we all thought would be a, a big surprise because I don't know if any of you guys heard the, the last episode where we had uh, Mitch from the Dingers podcast, the Chicago Cubs podcast come on and say how how much he's been waiting for Hayward to be DFA'd he's the worst guy on the team you know and and it's funny because he turns out to be one of the the most important players that whole series he was the one who was the most clutch especially in that first game putting him in in position Hayward gets his first home run of the year off Severino he comes in with you know key hits key RBIs he he was the one who kept the game at tied at one you know, Castro came in, King, Holmes, Schmidt, Peralta, and Marinaccio all came in after Severino to throw shutout innings. All looked great. And the Yankees, uh, Yankees just couldn't get anything going the whole time until the 13th inning where fan favorite Jose Trevino comes in. Pinch hits for Higashioka, who's been struggling. He comes in and he gets a pinch hit walk-off single in the 13th inning. And uh, the Yankees get you squeak away with a huge win and get some much needed rest. Going into Saturday's game, 
on uh, it was nationally televised game, and the Yankees showed up eight nothing. Perfect performance again from the pitching staff. Montgomery came in and was super clutch with a depleted bullpen. He came in through seven shutout innings, probably his best performance of the season. He got a win, ladies and gentlemen. He got a second win, which, you know, who knows how many more we'll see this season, but he got a second win, and he uh, he came in and did everything that the Yankees and what Aaron Boone needed him to do, plus some. And the Yankees, of course, showed out in the offense, offensive department. Judge hit two home runs, 24 now on the season, leading the way by a mile with the home runs in, in Major League Baseball. I think second right now is Alvarez with 17. He's judges on another planet. Uh, you had uh, Glaber Torres hit a home run. Giancarlo Stanton hit a home run. Anthony Rizzo hit a home run. And the guy I just mentioned before, Trevino comes in, another home run off the foul pole. Six sole home runs off against the same pitcher, which I don't know if I've seen uh, a pitcher give up six home runs in, a, in, a, in an outing before. But today's game, I should say, I, I don't even know how to break this down. 18 to four. I could go on forever. I, I, everybody did everything in this game. Uh, I think the only person who didn't help out was, was Marwin. Obviously, Judge was great. Rizzo was great. Stanton, LeMayu, Carpenter, which I think is the, the biggest name to talk about. Carpenter comes in and seven RBIs as a late addition to the lineup. He wasn't even starting. He comes in and gets seven RBIs, two home runs. Absolutely phenomenal. I, I'm going to ask you, Enrique, what, what did you think of, uh, of Matt Carpenter tonight? I mean, what else can you say about the guy at this point? Second player ever in the modern era to have six home runs within his first seven hits with a team. The only other player to have done that before was Trevor Story in 2016 with the Rockies. I mean, all the guy does is hit dingers. Like, like that kid in that GIF says, all I do is hit dingers. That's all he does. He's it's he's been such a great fit on this team. It's it's remarkable to watch. He's he's having a renaissance in his career, and I'm all for it. He's absolutely I, I could not agree more. I would say he's starting to look so good right now that it uh that it could make uh Donaldson uh shiver a little bit because he, he might be, you know, now that Carpenter's playing third base, he's he finally put himself in the field for the first time today. Looked in, in insane today. I I didn't I never expected Carpenter to tie his career high in RBIs in a game, but seven two home runs. Every time he got he got a hit, it led to an RBI. You know he's I know he's only played in a couple of games, but to have a one point five nine two OPS is uh is pretty insane for your first couple of games in pinstripes or as a Yankee. So you know he he has come in and been given this opportunity and he's done way more than what we ever expected and has made it incredible to the fact that where he was coming in, in the race series on an everyday basis, hasn't been used in almost a week, gets to start late and comes in and, you know, goes three for four with seven RBIs. Uh, I, I, I don't know, uh, John, I don't know if you saw any of the game today, but uh, what would you think that that's gotta be, that's like incredible. What do you think? 
yeah, I didn't get a chance to see any of the game. All I saw was um, the score and the ticker, and I was uh, rather astonished to see an 18 to four final score. Um, but yeah, like you said, having a, a 1.52, a 5.92 uh, OPS is very much insane. Uh, 10 total bases is also pretty crazy. And even seeing in the stat line, Judge having a, a one, what was it, 1.077 OPS. And seeing the tear that he's been on is awesome to see, especially seeing as how he's one of the homegrown guys. You know, and also to kind of backpack off that, um, I, I, I'll give my props for today to, to Kyle Gashioka, who finally, finally found some offense and, and hit his first home run earlier in the game uh, in the third inning and then hit, the, hit, a, hit another home run in, in the bottom of the eighth off Schwindel, who was, who's plays first base, but he came in to pitch because it was such a brutal game. And he hit a second one, so he has two home runs so far in the year. So I'll give Higashioka because maybe that's when he needed to start get going. You know, uh, I, I maybe Higashioka could start picking it up and contribute to this team. Hopefully. I mean, you know, Jose can't do it by himself. You know what I'm saying? He's been great, but you're going to have to give him rest here and there if you want to keep him fresh for the playoffs if the Yankees don't trade for a catcher. So it'll be interesting if Higgy can, you know, somehow – Look at this game. Look at what he did today. Ironically enough, speaking of Trevino, Higgy gave Trevino credit for mm-hmm. his performance today, where Trevino told him that he was noticing that he wasn't using a lot of power from his bottom half. And he's like, bro, look at that. I listened to him. I used more of my bottom half in my swing, and it caused me to have that power surge where he hit those two home runs. So, I mean... That's another prime example of Jose Trevino playing dividends where he's even helping guys. Yeah, and and Michael K brought this up too, where he said that it goes both ways. Higashioka was, you know, on both the walk-offs that that Trevino hit. Higashioka is the first guy out there. He's running out to him. And they have kind of like welcomed each other. And Higashioka is such a, a liked guy in, in the clubhouse that you know, he has accepted Trevino to be kind of the starter now. You know, it's not going to be officially announced ever. You know, we know Trevino is going to get more games now because Trevino has proven that he is not only hitting at a elite level, that he's also catching at an elite level with his defense. I love that, that the two of them are coming together and kind of just helping each other. And that's what you love. You love to see that. Obviously, they're battling each day to who, who's going to start and whatever. But you gotta love that, like that they don't see it as competition. They just want wins, and that's that's why I love this team. Is because they go in every day going, oh, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm 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 not going in to hit two home runs for myself. I want to win a ball game today. I don't care if we win one nothing or eighteen to four. I w- I just want to win today. And so I just I love this team because of how much they've endured that. Just win. That's it. Just just win the game. Doesn't matter if I go 0 for 5 with five strikeouts or 5 for 5 with five home runs. Just win the game. And that's it. And one more thing that you have to give credit to, you have to give credit to Brian Cashman for finally, finally, after so many years, accepting that this team needed lefty bats and not just being so right-handed heavy like they were for so long. Look at the dividends we've had 
at home with that right field short porch with guys like, you know, Carpenter, with guys like Gallo and Rizzo. You've seen production. Like, who would have thought that, right? Lefty bats produce in Yankee Stadium. Who would have thought? You know what I'm saying? So big props to Cashman for finally accepting that and making those deals he did last year with for Gallo and Rizzo and for bringing up Carpenter. I mean, like I said, man, you can't say enough about those guys and just this team overall. This this next 13 games is going to be a real uh, prove-it type of uh, part of the schedule because everyone's talking about how the Yankees never play anyone, you know, tough and everyone's always below 500. But I think these next 13 games, you have three against Tampa, three at Toronto, three at Tampa, and then four against Houston. So this is this is big. This is as big as it gets for, you know, what we're going to probably see in October. These three teams, I bet you the Yankees see one of them in October. So, you know, this is a real, uh, real, it's been real fun. 44 and 16, 18 to four victories. But now I think, you know, Yankee fans will be, and I think all of baseball will be paying attention to watching if the Yankees are for real or not in these next 13 games. What do I you don't guys? know so much about Tampa, though, because Tampa's been kind of struggling recently, haven't they? They've struggled a little bit as of late, but they did just sweep St. Louis. And, you know, they, no matter how bad they struggle throughout, you know, the season, if they lose a couple games here and there, they're always right with us or right in front of us, right behind us. They're always right on our tail. You know, they, they never go away. Neither do the Blue Jays. And, uh, you know, it's always going to be like a three-headed race to the end, no matter, you know, how good the Yankees have been. Obviously, the Yankees are the best in baseball. But uh, Tampa, Tampa's, you know, always going to be a tough team to, to get out. And no matter how, where they are, they're going to be, they're going to be difficult. But uh, speaking of Tampa, kind of want to shift this towards the, towards some minor league talk because I'm excited to talk some minors with you because it's been, it's been quite some time and I I have a couple of questions myself, but we'll get there. Um, John, you know, uh, welcome back. Obviously Um, really excited to talk some minors talk with you. Uh, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you take it from here. Thank you, Sean. Um, Yeah. It's, it's been a little while. I was fortunate to go to a, a Tarpons game this past Wednesday, catch a doubleheader. Um, the Tarpons honored my father. Um, they invited my family, uh, to catch a game. Um, they honored my father in the scoreboard, which is very kind of them. Um, so, um, we saw the Tarpons play the single A affiliate of the Cardinals, the Palm Beach Cardinals. Um, and there were a couple of players that impressed me when, when I saw the, um, the Tarpons play. And one of them was Alan Mejia. He's kind of one of those under the radar guys that's not getting the attention of, like say a Jason Dominguez or an Anthony Garcia or, you know, one of those kind of bats. He's batting 173 as far as um, an overall average. But if I remember correctly this month, I think he's batting over 300. Last I saw he was batting 333 for the month, and I, but that wasn't looking at um, today stats. I don't know if he played today, but he was batting over 300 last I looked for the month of June. Um, so he's been really kicking things up this month. I did tweet out a video of his uh, performance. He went three for four on game one of the doubleheader that I saw, um, including a home run, which was his first home run of the year. Uh, so go check out that on my Twitter at Baseball. 
Um, someone else that I think um, some Yankee fans should pay attention to is Marcos Cabrera. He's another one. Um, he's a third baseman. Um, doesn't really play anywhere else, so he's just, you know, just a third baseman. But he does have some loud hits. Uh, right now batting 213 with a 753 OPS. Doesn't have a whole ton of power. He does have nine home runs. Um, but he does tend to get a lot of solid hits. Does have six uh, doubles. But um, he's one of those where he'll drive a lot of guys in uh, with 21 RBI. Um, ben Cowles is one that at the beginning of the year, um, manager Rachel uh, Balkovic kept speaking so highly of. She loved seeing what he could do on um, as far as offense. His defense really has been struggling, though. I don't remember exactly what he has as far as uh, defensive errors, but he is batting 252 with 700, uh, a .799 OPS. Um, but his, um, his strikeouts are on the better side compared to someone like a Marcos Cabrera. You're looking at those guys and then you're looking at the Vargas, like an Alexander Vargas, who's, who has been struggling and he's only batting 180 and he's has, he's had a lot of higher expectations as a, one of the higher, uh, higher touted, uh, shortstop prospects. You're only batting 180. Um, I really liked what I saw of him last year and I'm really disappointed that he's only batting 180. He seems too aggressive at the plate with a 5.26, a 0.526 OPS rather, uh, 70 strikeouts in uh, 200 at bats. Um, really, really too aggressive, kind of swinging at everything. Uh, and I've been kind of comparing A and B from this past uh, game to the games that I saw in late April uh, when I last went. Um, before everything that, that had been going on with my father uh, had happened, and he looks the same. Um, but one prospect that I'm sure everybody wants to talk about, you're going to have to wait, though. I'm going to talk about everybody else first. Uh, Jason Dominguez, but I'm going to make you wait. Um, I actually have a quick question for you. All right. Speaking, speaking of Marcos Cabrera, I, I'm you know looking him up. Uh, I've been checking him out a little bit. But I saw Marcus Cabrera is, is leading the team in stolen bases. Is he someone that we can look forward to in the future as uh, obviously with speed, but like as a, as a base running threat? So he's, he's kind of curious because he, he doesn't really have the speed as like an Alexander Vargas. Vargas, to me last year, seemed to be the speedster because his nickname was, is El Avion de Tierra which is like the land jet, I guess you could say, or like the land plane. Um, and that's his nickname. Like when he signs something, he'll sign it as El Avion de Tierra. And that's just, that's, how, that's his nickname because of how quick he is. Like Jason Dominguez is the Martian. He's El Avion de Tierra. Um, Marcos Cabrera, I never really, that wasn't really a thing for me when I saw him last year. Um, and he doesn't have a lot of caught ceilings like Vargas does. Like, like we're looking at the stats right here and Cabrera, he's doesn't have a lot of caught ceilings compared to Vargas, but that must be something that they're working on because I know this year the, the base running has been a lot more aggressive and that's just the entire system going from the Yankees all the way down to, to Tampa has been a lot more aggressive. 
throughout the entire system. But how about uh, John? How about Anthony Garcia? What can you tell me about him? He's leading the team in home runs and, and RBIs, it looks like. So he's obviously somebody to talk about. Yeah, he's um, he's you can kind of say he's the Giancarlo Stanton of the Tarpons. Um, he'll hit it loud and, you know, he's loud and far. He's like that home run that Giancarlo Stanton hit off the pole in spring sign. He'll, he'll, he's the, that kind of a home run hitter on the Tarpons. You know, he's, he's that kind of a hitter. I think he hit one 460-something feet, 120 miles an hour, you know, like that kind of power. But his thing is he's a little too aggressive at the plate sometimes. And that's why he has a 209 batting average. He's been too aggressive recently when he was um, the first few weeks of the season he had a little bit more of a tempered approach at the plate, and that was a welcome sight. But if you look at his strikeouts right now, he has 79 strikeouts in 158 at bat. So that's he's striking out almost half the time. He has an, an 808 OPS, so he's getting on base. So, I mean. Yeah, I was going to say, he, he's like the epitome of like the, the, you know, the home runs, walks, and the strikeouts. Like, yeah. Gallo, now I'm not saying he's Joey Gallo in that, in that department you know because he's 384 obp so and he leads the team in walks he leads the team in strikeouts he leads the team in home runs and rbis you know like you said he he's like the stand obviously he's got the power yeah um, but I, I i was gonna ask you as well you know obviously the yankees are stacked you know to the top in shortstop prospects and stuff like that but first base prospects, it's not not that many, you know, big names out there. So no, could, could you could you see an Anthony Garcia in three to four years, you know, making its way either to to Scranton or even the Bronx? I would think you would see someone like an Andres Chaparro or Ted Bell would make more sense to me over Anthony Garcia, because Anthony Garcia, his height makes sense as far as defense goes. But as an overall package, Chad Bell would probably make more sense um, as a first baseman. So Chad Bell's uh, batting 242 right now and 128 at bats, which is solid for double A. Yeah. 758 OPS. So, and he looked really good when he was in Tampa last year. And I, if I remember correctly, he's a lefty at bat as well. So I really liked what I saw of Chad Bell. Andres Chaparro, um, he's. He can, they both can play either corner. Um, so they're both versatile in that aspect. Anthony Garcia used to play outfield and they converted him to first base. So he's, and he's been having, I don't want to say difficulty, but it's, it's an adjustment. Um, so we've had a couple of requests as far as um, my input on some players. So I'll just go through the system. Um, there's some players that I can provide input on some players. I can't because of whether they've been on the injury list or there's some that I haven't seen any, um, any video on Ryder green. I don't have any input on because he's been on the injury list. I requested some feedback from the Tarpons on uh, his status. I hadn't received any, uh, any reply from them as far as that goes. Um, I'll reach out again uh, in the coming days to see if I can get anything from them. Uh, Alexander Vargas, Cabrera, Garcia, we talked about already. Trey Sweeney, he's, um, he's made some interesting changes. 
So Sweeney, I saw last year, he was um, the 2021 first round pick for the Yankees. The biggest thing that uh, scouts complained about last year was Sweeney had a really high leg kick. So if you look at video last year of Sweeney, his knee almost came up to his armpit when he would go to a swing. And if you look at video, and I can retweet this, and then we can retweet it out through the Hottest Skin Up podcast uh, Twitter account. If you look at his uh, leg kick now, it's very minimal. And that seems to have helped a lot with his power, his, his just his overall mechanics. I don't know enough about mechanics and, and how that all works to how that translates to swing in the bat. But just that little bit has uh, done a lot, apparently. Um, Austin Wells, um, I can break a little bit of news on Austin Wells. A source has told me that Austin Wells will be out for about four to six weeks. Um, he's down in Tampa doing a little bit of rehab. Uh, he'll be able to catch some games in the coming weeks. I don't know what his recovery time will be until he's going to be able to catch some games. So I'm guessing somewhere around 4th of July, he'll start, I'm guessing, uh, seeing some rehab games. Don't know if that's going to be with the Complex League or if that's going to be with the Tarpons. And then I'm guessing he'll be back with Hudson Valley. Um, apparently, he took a, um, an errant pitch to the cup. Um, Luis Medina and Ken Waldachuk, um, to my uh, Twitter follower who asked me on that one, that was uh, at Ryan Yankees 28. I'll have to watch some Somerset and uh, Scranton games for you. And I'll see when, uh, when Medina and Waldachuk are, are uh, pitching and I'll see if I can get back to you on a future episode and give you my feedback on them. It looks like Luis Medina is throwing a uh, 393 ERA with a 131 whip through 36 and two third innings. Ken Waldachuk, when he was at Somerset, he's since been promoted uh, but Ken Waldachuk had a, a one and a quarter ERA through 26 innings. Um, and then since he's been with Scranton, 1.69 ERA through 21 and a third. Um, so he very well may be with, um, with uh, Marinaccio, uh, who they both looked really good when they were down here for a spring training. I saw both of them very, very briefly, but I saw both of them down here. Um, and they both impressed the, the New York media. Obviously, he's a top five Yankee prospect. So he's someone I, I, I really look forward to seeing. And, you know, they have him as, you know, coming up this year. And same with, with, with uh, Wesneski as well. So, you know, these, these two kids, uh, lefty and righty, uh, I really look forward to seeing in, in the very near future. So I hadn't talked about Jason Dominguez yet. I've, been, I've waited. Uh, I've had people wait long enough for that. uh so jason dominguez um i haven't seen any home runs um i don't think i've seen any home runs of his this year uh he does have six uh like we said before he doesn't lead the team that's anthony garcia it's not to say that he doesn't have power because he does much more improved than he has last year um he does like any other switch shader on the team hit better on the left side versus the right side and i don't think that's to say that he's a better lefty hitter than he is a righty hitter. I think that's more that they get a lot more opportunities on the left side than they do on the right side. 
just because there's a lot more righty pitchers than there are lefty pitchers. Yeah. And if you look at the splits, that's just, that's just the way it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, Jason, I'm surprised with the stats that he's putting up. I'm surprised he's not in Hudson Valley already. I kind of expected him to have been promoted around Memorial Day. And I said that in April, um, right at the beginning of the year, that I was expecting him to be promoted around Memorial Day, that if, if he was batting over 250, that I expected him to be one of the first guys to be promoted um, just because of the, the amount of talent that they have in the outfield in the minors with Ryder Green and, and all that. Speaking of being promoted, John, I have one bonus player for you, and it's the player that everybody wants to know about other than Dominguez, and that's obviously Volpe. I was speaking on a Twitter space last night, and a person in the Twitter space specifically asked about why Anthony Volpe seems to be struggling ever since his promotion to double A. I think part of it is uh, playing at home. He's getting a lot more attention playing at home. Um, Because remember, this is kind of his neighborhood stadium. From what I understand, he's getting about 100 to 150 to 200 people that know him at every game. That's, you know, that that's going to have a pressure on you with all of the, and then now he's the number one prospect for the Yankees. And then now he's, uh, the top one, no, he's the number five in um, the top 100 for MLB, you know, stuff like that. He's slowly moving up the ranks of all this pressure getting on him. And he'll, if you ask him if it, if it weighs on him, he'll, he'll tell you no. Because it's a typical Derek Jeter type of answer. And he doesn't like to be compared to Derek Jeter, but that's just the kind of guy he is. You know, he's just, he, he doesn't like to be, that kind of a um, that kind of a player where it, he doesn't want it to show that it weighs on him, but I believe it's hard to believe that it doesn't. I mean, I I kind of get what you're saying, and you know, just to be clear, like just so we're on the same page. So you think it's all mental with him? You don't think it's anything? You know, as far as you know, the move up to the next difficulty level being too much for him? You think it's more mental than anything else? I think a lot of it is mental. I don't think it's I, – because I, I know it's not a strength thing. I know it's not – I know he has the ability because when he was in spring training, you, he could face Marinaccio and, and have no problem. And he can face Woldachuk and have no problem. I think it's, hey, you know, I'm, I'm finally getting to an advanced level and this is finally actually becoming a thing and I'm actually – going to be the Yankee shortstop and wow this is this is actually becoming a reality my childhood dream is actually becoming a thing it's funny that you that people say that he's struggling because looking at the numbers it's it it's not like it's not as bad as I thought it would be like I I've been watching him obviously I mean, I've he's not Joey Gallo yeah I, I haven't been paying attention to all his stats but you know just taking I think Yankee fans expect him to be the opening day shortstop starting next year. And that might, that may be the case, but I think Cashman had gotten kind of Falefa to kind of give Volpe more time to develop. Obviously now yep. going into Somerset for the first, you know, first time this year, big step going to double a, it's going to be even a, a bigger step going into triple a, you know, whenever that happens, but we, you get someone like IKF who is under team control for the next two or three years. 
And yeah, he's not your future, but he's someone who fills that gap until Volpe is 100% ready. And I've been seeing, and I wanted to ask this before, but you know, you've been seeing like these guys like Volpe and Dominguez who, who are coming in as, you know, the number one, number two prospects on the Yankees and everyone's microscoping on everything that they do. And, you know, you got people writing articles that Dominguez is washed, that he's a bust, you know, he's not the same, you know, I, first of all, you're going to, you're going to make him a bust right off the bat. Cause you're comparing him to Mickey Mantle and, and, you know, the greatest baseball players to ever pick up a bat ever. So of course, he's not going to fill your expectations. How could he? And in Volpe, he's 21 years old. He's playing in his hometown. He's finally getting all the media attention. He, every single pitch he, he, you know, that he looks at is scrutinized or, or criticized. So yeah, he's in 224 so far in double A, but he's only 51 games in. But if you look at the positives, you know, he's tied for first on his team with RBIs. He leads his team in stolen bases. He's got 22 stolen bases in 25 attempts. He's got a 322 on base percentage. I, I, don't, I don't know about you guys, but that, that's good enough for me for the 21-year-old kid trying to just grow as, as, he, as he progresses. What about you? And if you, if you think about the media coverage and the media scrum that he has in New Jersey – and you think about the the climb up the ladder with the the different teams that you have from Tampa all the way up to the Rail Riders. The media that you have in Tampa is essentially just me. You know, there it's I'm I'm it. I mean, and and I I kind of want to push interviews on on a lot of these guys so that they can get accustomed to doing interviews when they when they start getting into Hudson Valley and Somerset because getting thrown into interviews, they're like, they don't know how to handle them, you know? And I, and I tell them that, Hey, I want to do an interview with you because I want you to know how to handle that. And I don't want you to, to get frozen in an interview. So I get it. Well, John, thank you so much. I, I, I feel like I can talk minor league baseball with you forever. But, uh, you know, we got to we got to talk about this very, very important, very crucial upcoming series uh, coming up for the Yankees. Um, well, the Yankees have a day off Monday, but they're right back at it on Tuesday. And uh, we get, you know, kind of like a rematch to what we saw last month when the Yankees visited Tampa. Uh, we got Garrett Cole in the first game versus Corey Kluber. We all know Corey Kluber well enough. But it's kind of a rematch. Uh, hopefully, we get a better performance from Cole, who struggled mightily in his last performance uh, against the Twins. Arguably, his worst performance in the regular season as, as a Yankee. And so hopefully, he can turn it around uh, against the division rivals. Uh, on Wednesday, in the game two of the series, we have Nasty Nestor, or as Enrique, how do you, how do you, what do you call him? El Orgullo de Hialeah. Perfect. <laughs> uh, it's going to take me a bit to get used to that or, or to remember that, but I'll, I'll do the best I can. But we have we have Nasty Nestor, as I call him, um, you know, pitching for the Yankees against Shane McClanahan, who both of these guys are, you know, top five in all of the American League in uh, ERA. Shane McClanahan comes in with a 1.87 ERA, uh, seven wins, two losses. And then Nestor five and two and one of 1.96 ERA who Nestor kind of got 
hit around a little bit in the Minnesota game, but not not terribly, but uh, wasn't his best performance. Probably one of, you know, one of his hardest and most difficult performances of the season so far. But hopefully the Yankees can capitalize on that and get another win. It seems like they've kind of fixed the rotation a bit so that Garrett now is is like the one. You have Nestor right behind him, and then you go right into uh, the, the finale of this series with our third best pitcher with Luis Severino taking the mound uh, on, on Thursday versus Drew Rasmussen, who Drew, Drew is a very underrated pitcher and always gives the Yankees trouble. So I, I will look forward to seeing how the Yankees uh, go up against him. Luis Severino has been, I think, better than expectations so far this year, obviously missing the majority of the last two years due to injury. He's been nothing but but spectacular for us. Four and one with a two point eight zero ERA, seventy one strikeouts. He he has shown almost no limit. I, I think um, I, I thought he was going to come in with some sort of innings limit start the year. That he they've kind of just let him go, and he's been doing uh, everything that they've expected and plus some. So I'm really looking forward to this series. I think this is a huge test for the Yankees. You know, your three best pitchers against your division rivals. I really look forward to seeing how uh, how the team how this team does. What do you think, Enrique? I mean, it's a it's a big series. You got Tampa, who, like you said earlier in the show, is right there. They're not going anywhere. Thirty five and twenty five, nine games behind the Yankees. I expect the Yankees to hopefully. I expect the Yankees to get this game tomorrow with Garrett Cole bouncing back and having a strong performance. I fully expect Nestor to have a better game than he had against Minnesota. And why not? You know, you got Severino on the bump for game three. You should be able to sweep this series, not for nothing. And, you know, put yourself further away from Tampa. You know, you sweep this series, you'll be 12 games ahead. That, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. I would like to see that. And at the very worst, worst case scenario, Give me two out of three. Give me two out of three. That's all I ask. The Yankees are the best in baseball at home. We always seem to do really well. You know, this year we're, we're you know, obviously 26 and seven. The Yankees are performing at a high rate. And, uh, and uh, you know, the Rays are almost at 500 baseball on the road themselves. But, you know, I expect, I expect the Yankees to, to get the job done, win at minimum two out of three. What do you think, John? Yeah, I'm really excited for the series. Um, Kluber has been doing really well this year. Cole, like you said, I'm 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 interested to see what Cole does. Just because, like you said, um, especially that last outing with the Twins, I haven't really seen a lot of Yankees baseball the past uh, couple series. Um, with everything that everything that I've had going on, I didn't. I I guess you can say I was fortunate to not see that game. Um, with Cole giving up all those, all those, uh, what was it like consecutive home runs or whatever happened? Um, five home runs total, three back to back to back to start the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm I'm glad I didn't see that. Um, <laughs> that that uh, orgullo the the Hialeah uh, game. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to, I guess, listening to that game because I'm blacked out of seeing that. Um, against McClanahan that's that's going to be a hell of a game I think and I don't know 
part of me wants to say that that's going to be a, a lopsided game. And I hope it's going to be lopsided the Yankees way. Because something tells me so, that McClanahan's going to give up a bunch of bombs to like Carpenter and Donaldson and Judge. And it's going to be like a eight to three kind of thing. Like, I have a feeling about it. Él es el orgullo de Hialeah, John. No lo puedes negar. El socio está volado este año. <laughs> he, he, look, the, other than that game against the Twins, where he gave up four runs, you know, struck out three, gave up two earned runs. Other than that game, what game have you seen from Nestor Cortez this year where he's done anything similar to that? You haven't. So, como yo dije en español, mi socio, él está volado. El, el tipo está que nadie puede con él, nadie puede con él, está intocable. Así que, yeah, I'll say it again. El socio es el orgullo de Hialeah, Florida. Olvídate eso. Yeah, it's, it's, he's, like you said, he's untouchable. He's, that you can't, I guess McClanahan is, is statistically better, but I expect I this we'll to be uh, an incredible matchup, a real pitching duo. Something that I think no one's talking about yet, but people will talk about for the rest of the season. I think that's what this game will be. I agree. I, I feel like it's going to be lopsided. I don't know. Something something tells me it's going to be lopsided. John, I hope you're right. I wouldn't even be surprised if we sweep them, though. But I do think that each game is going to be like a 4-3, 5-3, 6-2, 6-5 sort of game where it's constantly competitive until the end. But enough of what I think. Well, now, for better insight, we leave you with our interview with the one and only Sweeney Murdy, where you can find him on WFAN New York Radio. Hope you all enjoy. We are here with Sweeney Murdy. Uh, how you doing, Sweeney? How's it going? I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's an honor to have you. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, and we really appreciate you doing this. Thank you, Sweeney. Of course. Thank you. All right. Uh, I guess we'll just pop right into questions and, and get going. So um, my first question to you would be, uh, you know, uh, starting Tuesday night, the Yankees are hosting the Rays for a three game set. What do you see as the uh, X factor for the Yankees taking the series? You know, I, I, I think it's just the same as what we've seen so far for the first couple of months. You know, they've played the good teams really well. Uh, they've destroyed the bad teams. And, uh, you know, when they played the Rays a couple of weeks ago on Memorial Day, they split four. Um, I thought it was a good series. I know they could have taken a third game in that series, and it was disappointing because they won the first two. But, uh, you know, it's the Rays are a good team, too. And I think you have to remember that. And if you're going to play even with them for now, that's perfectly fine because you're destroying everybody else. And, even you know, you have time to play. They've only played four games. So, uh, listen, win the series. It's the same as pretty much everything else that they've done so far. Get some really good pitching. Uh, their starters have been outstanding. Uh, and, you know, they should be able to go deeper into the games. You know, the Rays haven't been a great offensive team so far. So um, you should be able to get your starters deep into a game, perhaps. I think more than winning this one series, I think it's important to remember that they play them again next week at Tropicana Field. And two of the three pitchers in the series will face them twice. So making those adjustments this facing them two times in a row, I believe it's Cortez and Severino who will both face them, uh, you know, this week and again, next week. 
So it takes a lot to be able to, you know, have the same pitcher beat the team twice in a row uh, in such a short period of time. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's probably going to be about the pitchers and uh, and see how what they can do to get deep into game this week and what adjustments, if any, they need to make to make sure that they, you know, that they uh, uh, handle them next week as well. Um, because, like I said, it's, it's just kind of tough sometimes for a pitcher uh, when he's facing the same team two times in a row. Speaking of the Rays offense, Sweeney, uh, they're batting 235 with a 666 OPS away from the trap, which is good. Uh, 225 with a 665 OPS versus right-handed pitching. Yet they're only hitting 145 with a 446 OPS versus the Yankees this season. That obviously bodes well for us. Does this all equate to a better start from Garrett Cole tonight after he gave up seven earned runs versus Minnesota in his last outing? Yeah, I mean, I think it's – I think what you're looking for from Cole, because remember he had that bad start against the Tigers where he walked a bunch of guys uh, in his – I think his third start of the year. And um, and then since then he rolled off about seven or eight really good ones in a row, very dominant, and then had the clunker against Minnesota again uh, where the home run ball really got to him. Um, so I think with any, any great pitcher – the key is the bounce back because you're going to have, I mean, real, realistically, a pitcher who's having a great season is probably going to have, um, you know, five, six, seven really good starts in a row before he throws in uh, a clunker. And they're usually not as, as devastating or as, or as um, I guess, ugly as the one in Minnesota with the home run ball. Um, usually, you know, you get knocked around a little bit, go some runs and say, you just don't have it. This one was, you know, home run, home run, home run right off the bat. It was a little, little freakish. Um, so again, with any great pitcher, the key is to just bounce back from that one and not have it turn into two, three or four bad starts in a row. Um, so I think that's what really, I'm kind of looking at more for his first start against the Rays here and say, you know, remember, and historically it's a team that he hasn't pitched very well against. Uh, he's had some trouble with them. So uh, I think he handled them pretty well in the uh, matchup with Kluber earlier in the year and, uh, you know, last last month. Uh, so it's, you know, it's another good test for him just to see how quickly he can put the, the uh, bad Minnesota game behind him. Kind of moving away from this race series, but talking as, uh, about the Yankees as a whole, this Yankees team now is 44 and 16, almost has done a complete flip from what we saw last year at this time last year, the Yankees were 33 and 32 really struggling. You know, we didn't win our 44th game until July 7th. You know, you have, you have a closer eye on this team than most of us have. So, you know, what, what, what have you seen from this 2022 Yankees team that is different from, you know, the 2021 Yankees? Well, they've got healthy players who are hitting, you know, I mean, that's, that's really the big difference. And uh, you know, they're, they're, they are not out of games. One of the, the uh, I don't think it's a, any stat is tell all, but one of them that was quite revealing to me was the one I looked the other day I saw last year when they gave up five or more runs, which means, you know, obviously they didn't pitch well. Um, and win the game, you kind of, you had to score, you know, six or more, right? You had to, you had to win a slugfest. Well, the Yankees struggled in that last year. They were 12 and 50. They only won 12 games when they gave up five or more runs. Um, so they could not win a slugfest last year. This year, last I looked, I think they were eight and six. Uh, they, you know, whatever the game was last week, uh, they're 
they're winning the games. Even when their pitching falters, which isn't often, they are able to come back and win and score. And, you know, listen, Aaron Judge is having a monster year. That certainly helps. Uh, you've got DJ LeMahieu, who's not quite back to what we saw the first couple of years, but he's healthy and his bats are so much better than they were last year when he was struggling with his health. Um, the Yankees haven't been really decimated by injuries. They've had a couple of issues, um, but really minor ones. Uh, and even though everybody isn't putting up phenomenal numbers, you, you have a pretty good offensive showing here right now between, especially between judge and Glaber Torres, you've got a couple of, you know, all-star caliber players here in the lineup every day who've been healthy and producing. And that's, that's a huge factor. You're getting some maybe unexpected production from Jose Trevino um, and, you know, Anthony Rizzo got off to a really good start. Giancarlo Stanton just kind of chugs along and goes through his little bursts of what he does and has been healthy for the most part. So, and, and you know, before he had went on the aisle with the shoulder issue, Josh Donaldson was really starting to take off. So, and defensively, he's been outstanding at third base. Uh, metrically measures up amongst the, you know, the best in the league too. So a lot of stuff showing up. They're doing a lot of different things, but I feel like, they're not out of it. I think last year we always expected the light to turn on offensively and say, all right, this team's going to start to take off and hit. And it never happened. I mean, you had massive underperformance from uh, Glaber Torres, Gio Urshela, DJ LeMahieu. Um, and there's one other I'm forgetting, but um, I, I feel like you were waiting for all that to turn around that it never did. And it affected their ability to come back in games and put up big numbers and whether it was coming back or helping out a pitching staff by, you know, turning a two to one game into a six to one game and really taking the stress off of it, you know, that never happened last year either. You know, they were in tight games all the time and that took its effect. They, they really just never had uh, those blowout games, which you're seeing with a little more regularity against the teams that they're supposed to blow out. So um I think a lot of it is just, you know, the, the health and um, better production from the offense that's really affecting a lot of different areas. Uh, Sweeney, my questions is a little bit similar, but um, I'm going to go a little more back than last year. Um, a lot of people have compared the role that this team's currently on to the 98 Yankees team that won the World Series. As someone who's been at the fan, you know, for 20 years, You've seen all, you know, the Yankees teams, the 96 team, the 98 team, you, you got to see it all. Um, you weren't covering the team at that time, but you were still there. You know, you were at the fan. What parallels do you draw from the 98 team and this one, you know? Um, right now, just that they're both off to phenomenal starts uh, and that there is confidence there that, that they show up to the ballpark and, you know, think that they're going to win. Um, I, I don't know that I can draw anything else more than that until I see how it ends. Um, you know, I've, I've had some conversations with fans about this very recently where, you know, trying to think about this in terms of 98, but you look at 98 because you know, the end result, you know, um, I, I and, and remember the context of it. Now they had some players who had won a world series because the 96 team won, but you know, the 97 team lost to Cleveland. And the 98 team, as much as they wiped everybody out, they found themselves in the ALCS down two games to one uh, in Cleveland. 
and a team that had just gone to the World Series, a team, you know, they been to two out of the previous three World Series, was a juggernaut offensively, and, and had knocked you out in the playoffs the year before. It wasn't a gimme. You know, they're, they're gonna, there's going to be a pothole. There's going to be a landmine somewhere along the way that even if you dominate a season and win, you're going to have to navigate that and get through it and, and, you know, face that challenge. And this team hasn't had to do that yet because we're still in June. Uh, there's really not a place to, to – and for everybody – who wants this to be about win a championship. That's the only goal. The season's a failure. You can't fast forward to October. I say it all the time. So you've got to get through the season first, enjoy this part of the season because this doesn't happen all the time. Uh, And, you know, you know that the last couple of years uh, it's been a little bit difficult regular season. So, uh, and even though they have winning records have been in contention, it's not the same as you know, what you're kind of what you have expectations for and definitely not like what you're seeing now. So um, I can't make the parallels directly because one, you know, remember the 98 team had a lot of people that had World Series rings already. They had, as I said, they just won the 96 World Series before. Um, and you had, you know, you had David Cohn, who has a fistful of World Series rings already. Um, you had uh, Daryl Strawberry, who has an 86 uh, World Series ring with the Mets. Uh, you had people who had, who had playoff experience and World Series experience. And this team doesn't yet. So I think that, and even like go back to, I think, you know, Chili Davis and, and Chuck Knobloch were with the Twins in the World Series. So, you know, you had people who knew what it took to get to the finish line. Right now, you've got Anthony Rizzo, Marwin Gonzalez, and Aroldis Chapman. I believe are the only three people in that clubhouse who have World Series rings, uh, which is why I think Rizzo's leadership is something that is very valuable to this team because it's not the you know the the core days when you had all these guys who had a handful of World Series rings to lean on. You know, Aaron Judge doesn't have a World Series ring. Glaber Torres doesn't have a World Series ring. They're looking to somebody else to help help them figure out how to get through it. I think that's where Anthony Rizzo really comes in and provides some important leadership. I like what you just said, because, um, you know, I was thinking about that before and I, I was thinking that Rizzo and, and judge are kind of like, you know, a tag team as in leaders of this team, especially yeah. Rizzo with, with the experience he's had in the playoffs. So, but um, kind of leading to my next question to what I, what I was asking before, you know, the pitching, obviously the hitting too, hitting, pitching, the defense, and especially the base running has been exponentially better, I, I would say, than last year. Um, from being one of the worst in, in, in the league, you know, 24th, 25th, to now being in the top three in a lot of major categories, is it more of the players or the new uh, like hitting coach or pitching coach that has led to such a drastic change? I, everything is part of it, but I always feel like, you know, it's the horses, not the jockeys when you're talking about sports. So it's, you know, the, the, there are some important differences in the lineup. Um, you know, we, we talked a minute ago about how the Yankees had trouble scoring last year. Right. So, um, but they were built for power and it wasn't happening. And you had uh, like Luke Voigt and Gary Sanchez were more station to station type of base runners. So, uh, if the power wasn't coming and you were trying to string together and, and you know, you're going to have and you weren't scoring, you were probably have to try to force the issue to be aggressive and on the bases, I mean. And if you don't have the personnel to do it, you know, then it's going to lead to maybe outs on the bases and things like that. So uh, this year, I think they're, you know, they're playing from ahead differently and they're able to be a little bit more aggressive because they do have some different personnel run the bases differently and better and they're healthier, too. Right. Um 
so I think that's a big part of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think they've I think they've taken a different mindset, but it, it, it kind of goes hand in hand. You know, they've changed their they've changed a couple of key members in the on the roster and the lineup, and it helps them play the game a little bit differently. But let's not make any mistakes here. There's still a team that has hit almost 100 home runs at the time you and I are talking. Um, they have hit 50 more home runs than they've given up. I mean, this is the key right here, okay? Hit homers, don't give them up. Uh, draw walks, don't walk batters. These are the two things that the Yankees are, are really good at if you break it down offensively um, and, and the pitching side. They draw walks and they hit home runs, uh, which means you're hitting home runs with men on base. They, as a pitching staff, they don't walk very many and they don't give up many home runs. This is going to help you win a lot of games. It's really not you know, any more complicated than that. It's pretty simple. And when you think about who the Yankees are offensively, whatever coaching philosophies or personnel changes you want to talk about, there's still a team that hits home runs and should. That's, you know, that's how you score runs in this league. And I think we found it time and time again, even with this new personnel, sometimes you're getting frustrated by the times they leave men on base or go, you know, one for eight with runners in scoring position. You're seeing how much harder it is these days to put bat to ball with runners on base and string together three, four, five, six hits. Okay, it might happen every once in a while, but if you can put a man on base and hit a two-run homer, you are really helping yourself out because that's, you know, that's that's how you score. And scoring is good, right? That's that's what you're supposed to do. Absolutely, Sweeney. And speaking of home runs, I want to talk about the main person that everybody in Yankees Twitter and, you know, Yankee fans love. The man that has 24 of them, Aaron Judge, he's on an MVP level pace right now, hitting 318 with a 686 slugging percentage, a 1.077 OPS and a 204 OPS plus. What do you think of Aaron Judge's progression since he came into the league in 2016, especially his adjustments he's made in order to cut down on his strikeouts since 2017, where he led the league with 208, a 30.7% clip compared to 64 this year, a 24.9% clip. And he had a contact rate of 60.2% in 2016 compared to 76.4 this year. Yeah, I mean, his growth is a hitter, and it's phenomenal right now. I think some of the numbers you just pointed out, I, I think the easiest way to digest that is he's also not drawing as many walks. He's striking out less, but he's not drawing as many walks either, um, So, which is interesting because it means that he's still getting pitches to hit, you know, which is a little little scary to think about. Now, maybe that'll change as this goes on here, and, and they'll start to try to maybe start to challenge guys behind him. But, you know, listen, when you've got Rizzo and Stanton batting behind you, it's not that all easy for a pitcher to say okay put the guy on we'll deal with who's behind him that's not all that easy either so um i, I think you know the lineup certainly helps in that regard stand um the judge has certainly uh made some tremendous strides as a hitter and as aaron boone talks about kind of really is more of an understanding of what pitchers are trying to do to him and how he's trying to attack that and combat that and i think you're seeing that with the contact rates that you're talking about um and the redu reduction in strikeouts um, so I think he's not really getting deep into accounts anymore where the pitchers are setting him up and, and getting him to chase. Um, so he's able to, uh, you know, attack a little bit more and, you know, he's, he's just really not missing mistakes right now. And he's, he's really, 
it's hard to think that he could get off to a better start than he's gotten off right now. Now, it, I don't know if it's going to get historic yet, but it's kind of fun because he's on a pace to challenge 60, 61 home runs, which are, you know, big numbers in Yankee land. We know that during the, uh, the PED era that those numbers got eclipsed. And I don't know if he's going to be able to reach those kinds of heights, but if he can get to, I, I think there's still some magic around the numbers 60 and 61, especially for a Yankee. And um, I think it'd be interesting to see if he can get, um, you know, reach those heights and see what happens. Um, but I think uh, until he gets to 30, I think, um, you know, we'll see, if he can get 30 before the end of June, I think it'll get a lot, get very interesting uh, to or maybe say July 4th or so, kind of you know, whatever that point is. I think it'd be really interesting to see uh, how uh, how he gets through a, a race at those numbers. Uh, but it's it's hard to get off to a better start. And really the key of, of more than anything is just staying on the field and being healthy. He's been on like an MVP caliber season. This is this is so fun and incredible to watch that you almost like, you know, it, it's amazing. But at the same time, you kind of have this little dark cloud that that's looming with Aaron Judge because of the fact he will be a free agent at the end of the year. And that leads to my next question. You know, Aaron Judge will headline, you know, this this year's free agent class. And uh, before the lockout, I always felt like, Ah, uh, he'll be a Yankee forever. The Yankees will make it work. No problem. You know, like I never had that worry, but uh, obviously different situations, you know, but you see someone like Freddie Freeman who leaves Atlanta, you know, I never thought that would happen. And then now, you know, uh, the Yankees fan, I mean, Yankees offered uh, judge a contract extension. He says no, which betting on himself, which I thought was a smart move to do. But now, you know, we're hitting middle of the season. Aaron Judge is having MVP caliber season. As you see how amazing, the better he gets, the number goes up, I, I could say. Should Yankee fans or even the Yankees in general worry that he might be in a different uniform in 2023? Or do you think that the Yankees ultimately can get this done at the end of the day? Um, Brian Cashman is always fond of saying the free agency means free choice. Um, you know, the player has a choice and they made a pretty decent offer to get there. It wasn't what judge wanted and it's within his right to say, you know, listen, let's, let's try for something bigger. Um, and you're right. Like betting on himself paid off, but you know, Joey Gallo bet on himself too. He turned down an extension from the Rangers and they ended up trading him. And you're seeing, you know, where his market value is at this point, uh, based off the season he's had. So, um, it could have gone, it could have gone bad. Uh, the other way. It didn't for Judge, uh, who's really shining in the spotlight right now. Um, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't think we can predict what's going to happen, but I think that what I can say is that if I think the Yankees understood that whatever offer they that, that they made before the season is not going to be the offer that would get it done after the season because you're in a different spot. You're in a position where you have to bid against other people. The Yankees were not in a position where they had to bid against anybody else. They weren't in, in danger of losing him uh, in April when they first talked about the extension that they offered. So um, when you get to the end of the season and you're talking about being close to free agency, the number is obviously going to go higher because you have, you're going to have other competition. Um, it's um, I, I think what's going to happen, the, probably the easiest way to say it is if Aaron Judge doesn't sign with the Yankees, it's not going to be because they didn't offer him a lot of money. I think it's, they're going to offer him plenty of money. Now, is, is somebody else going to offer more? Does he want to go someplace else more? Is that a decision he wants to make? Um, that's We're still so far away from it. He is 
he's making he's going to make more money simply because the when you get to the end of the season other teams are able to bid on him and whether he hit you know whether he finished the season with 30 home runs or 60 home runs you know he was going to make more money than what the Yankees offered in April because that's kind of what free agency does as long as he had a healthy season uh and a healthy season could have been 30 you know 34 home runs um then I think that he would have made a lot of money and more than what the Yankees offered in April um if he's going to challenge 50 and 60 yeah the number is going to go even higher um but he's still also going to be a guy who's going to be 31 years old and teams are going to take that into account and we'll see who's willing to go higher. Um, I, I think the Yankees, the Yankees clearly want to keep the player because they made that offer in April. Um, and as the season ends, they're going to make another offer uh, and we'll see if it's enough for Aaron judge to stay here or, if, you know, he and his family decide that, that, you know, they're going to be, you know, that, that, that they want another choice and that somebody else is going to offer a different contract, and they're going to want to make take that instead. Um, there's, you know, there's no way to predict that right now. As you said, other, you know, other guys. You know, I think we all believe that, you know, it makes too much sense for Judge and the Yankees to just stay together. It all works very well here, but you kind of have to wait to see how it plays out because it's hard to predict how these things happen. Speaking of Judge, and you know what's going to happen next next year sweeney um with zach britton's money coming off the books so roll this chapman's money coming off the books joey gallo becoming a free agent next year jamison tyone chad green miguel castro all of them are going to be free agents next year could you see the yankees making a move at the deadline if an opportunity presents itself to add a key piece that could help them get to world series number 28 or do you see them not doing anything at all in order to have enough money to offer judge like we just talked about? No, I think, um, I mean, you make really good points about like all the money coming off the books and that, you know, that's going to, to be reallocated. Uh, I think the key for the trade deadline is going to be more about what's available to help them and is clear upgrade. Uh, I, I think they're always going to look to try to be better. You know, when they when they don't make deals, it's not usually because they don't try to do any. It's because it's not that you know nothing made sense and um, you know at 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 the cost that they were willing to pay. Um, I think they're going to look for outfield help. I think they're going to think about pitching help, just because you always think you you know you need more um, and never have enough. Uh, but the pitcher has been terrific. And I think if they run into any injury issues between now and the end of July, I think that'll factor into what they're looking for too. Uh, but yeah, I, I think they're, uh, I, I think they're looking for and willing to uh, add to this group and make some key acquisitions if needed, because, you know, I, I think they see what we all see, you know, they're, you know, they've got a pretty sizable lead a third of the way through the season and they want to see it through. They want, you know, they want to see what are the pieces that they need to make them better. And whether that's figuring out Hicks and Gallo who have struggled over the course of the first couple of months, you know, and if they continue to do so, I think you're going to see them try to address that. And then at what cost is it, uh, you know, prospect wise too, not just payroll, but I, yeah, I, I think, I think, that they see what we see that there's a team here that is very capable of being the best in the league and you want to see that through 
with the money coming off the books, obviously everyone just automatically assumes that that's going to go right to judge and very well might be. You said something before about, you know, Aaron judge betting on himself and then also Joey Gallo betting on himself. And that, that was like a perfect segue to my next question, which uh, Joey Gallo, who obviously ever since he's became coming Yankee, uh, it was a very exciting move. And I, I, the Yankees obviously have, have needed it. And he's a, a tremendous outfielder, um, but he has struggled so far this year and, and basically throughout his tenure as a Yankee. Yankee fans are starting to grow tired of Gal. I know Yankee fans like to just quickly, oh, he stinks and get rid of him sort of mentality. But I, I always thought, and I'm talking like about our podcast in the past, I've always thought that he might have had like a Glaber situation where him moving to a new position, going from basically right with the Rangers and now left, that that would be something he struggles with. And maybe it was a difficult transition. Do you see that as maybe that's what's been a difficult transition for him? Because, you know, now we, we've been seeing that they moved him back to right and they moved Judge to center. And now with Hicks and left, kind of make it maybe easier for him. Do you think that that's what it is? Or do you think it's, you know, it's like more mental and, you know, uh, he, he could potentially, you know, get out of this funk? I think even going back to last year and early this year, I think the people I talked to who, you know, have watched Gallo a lot longer than me, just kind of figured that this maybe isn't the best environment for him. And, uh, you know, it seemed to be the case last year, early this year with the struggles it's mounting on. The good news is that they're winning without him, right? They're winning without him being a, 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 a highly productive player. Um, and when I talked to fans about it, uh, I kind of try to remind them, like, even if Joey Gallo is hitting 400, they're not going to be better than 44 and 16, right? I mean, that's not the way baseball works. I think there's this idea that, um, you know, if you replace Hicks and Gallo right now, that the, their hits, the hits that the, the play, those players would get would be the ones that were the difference in losing, you know, between winning and losing games. And that's, you know, again, I don't think baseball works that way. I, I think, you know, rather than, you know, cause you're not going to, if you got better, if those players produce better, you weren't going to be 55 and five, you know, it's, it's just really hard to be better than what you are right now. Um, so, but with that said, I think that Gallo's struggles have gone on a pretty long time here and people who wondered about whether this environment was right for him last year are saying the same things about him this year. And that's, you know, that uh, is worrisome if, you're the Yankees. And I think moving forward, unless you see something major really turn around for him, I do think you're looking for alternatives to him as you get closer to the trade deadline. And there just aren't very many realistic options for you right now. So it's easier just to keep running him out there to try to, uh, to try to figure it out and get hot and help this team now when it's really not costing you very much, right? Like, you know, you're, you're not losing games because he's out there. You're not uh, in third place because he's out there. Uh, you're, you're still winning. You have the best record in the league. And as I said, baseball, you know, if he was hitting better, it would probably mean that certain games, the Yankees won, you know, five to two, they win seven to two, you know, it's, you know, you're not turning all of those losses into wins simply by having a couple of players hitting better. Um, so I think that, you know, he's the guy that, um, you're probably looking to figure out who your alternatives are. Uh, Batting from the left side still matters. And I think that, 
you know, I mean, you've seen it as badly as he struggled, you see other teams come in and bring in left-handers to face him, you know, in the sixth, seventh inning, right? Like they're still making moves to try to, and those moves, you know, have an effect on a game in a series. Like if you're bringing in this left-hander to face Joey Gallo in the sixth inning today, um, you can't bring him in in the eighth inning. And maybe you can't bring him in in the second or the third game of the series, depending on how much he's been used. So at some point, there's a trickle-down effect of that. Uh, even a player who's struggling like he is, other teams are maneuvering and using up moves around him because he's left-handed. Now, I'm not telling you that's the reason to keep him in the lineup every day. I'm just telling you that he's not costing you wins really at this point, realistically. And the closer you get to July, at the end of July, more options will be opened up for the team to figure out what their upgrades are, which I, they will undoubtedly make as they believe they are a championship contender. Sweeney, a, a couple more questions for you because I know you got to get going. Um, for me, I have one of, I'm going to go the total opposite route and go, my partner went with somebody the Yankee fans can't stand right now, unfortunately. I'm going to go with the arguably the most beloved Yankee right now. What do you think of the breakout that, El Orgullo de Hialeah, that means the pride of Hialeah in Spanish, Nestor Cortez has had dating back to last season. He's currently holding a 1.96 ERA, a 0.92 whip, 71 Ks, and a 2.84 FIP, and a 1.7 war. The Yanks seem to have put him behind Cole in the rotation at this point. Is he ever going to slow down or stop this ride he's on? He's been incredible. I maybe, you know, I mean, it's a long season. I, you know, who knows? He's pitched very well. And the fact that he did it last year too, and this year, like, it's not fluky what he's doing. Uh, like what's, what's happening. Uh, what's going to determine if he can keep doing it is basically mostly about stamina and adjustments and things like that, but he's fun to watch. And, you know, I, I saw Bucky Dent uh, at the uh, Yogi Berra golf outing um, on Monday and, you know, Bucky went to Hialeah. Uh, Bucky's from Hialeah also same high school. So, um, you know, he's he's watching with some pride when he watches Nestor Cortez, uh, you know, and as I saw Ron Guidry and asked him, he, he you know, lefty on lefty that he loves watching him pitch. Um, you know, he's not up there burning it up at high 90s, but he's locating very well. He's mixing. He's deceptive. He's got some, you know, and he's got to, you know. He knows what he's doing out there. You know, he's thinking about it. And like, you know, even some of the games where he struggled a little bit, he's wondering, okay, uh, pitch selection and location and things like that and what he can do, do better. This is going to be an interesting week ahead here for him because he's going to face Tampa Bay twice in a row. Um, and we talked earlier about the difficulties of, of facing a team twice in a row as a pitcher and the adjustments you need to make, um, you know, facing guys, you know, not just three times, but say, you know, six times over the course of the next week, you know, certain hitters, I mean, you know, face them three times in one game, three times in the next game. And, you know, you're going to have to figure out how to get them out that many times. Uh, you know, Giancarlo Stanton says that he in, he has better plans the more times he faces a guy because the pitchers run out of ways to get you out. So it's, he always seems to have a little bit more success against guys the more times he faces them because he's figured them out. And so this is what's going to be interesting as he starts facing, uh, Cortez starts facing the division teams that saw him once already, and we'll see him again, uh, you know, uh, many more times here. I think it's really, listen, he's a great story. I hope he continues this run for the next few weeks so he enjoys the 
uh, rewards of being an all-star. And, um, and then it's about, you know, finishing out the season and the stamina that it takes coming off of the, the years that we just had where Pitt more, you know, maybe hasn't built the stamina and, uh, and figure out ways to get through it because he's fun to watch. And, and I think, uh, you know, the Yankees and the Yankee fans enjoy seeing his success. Yeah, definitely. He has been quite a surprise for sure. Um, I hope that it continues. Obviously it's a long season, so, you know, I just hold my breath, but I, 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 I hold out hope that he can continue this run for the remainder of the season. Um, but this is my last question for you. Uh, this is a personal question. Many people, including myself, envy you and the job that you have. You are one of the biggest folks, you know, people in, you know, New York sports. Uh, you have been covering the Yankees on WFAM for over 20 years. And I just have wanted to ask you, when did you realize that this is something that you wanted to do for, you know, your career and for potentially the, you know, the rest of your life? I was fortunate enough when I, I grew up in Middletown, Pennsylvania, and our school district had a radio station that you could join in seventh grade. And I did. Uh, and all through my high school years, I was on the radio. And by the time I was 14, I was ninth grade. I was the sports director of a radio station. I did play-by-play for our uh, football and basketball teams. And I was doing sports reports. I was DJing. I was on the radio, you know, several times a week. Uh, and, and it struck me then that this is the job that I wanted. I wanted to be on the radio talking sports. I grew up in a middle in Middletown, Pennsylvania, and I was a Phillies fan and listened to Phillies games on the radio. Harry Callis, Richie Ashburn, Chris Wheeler, Andy Musser were like the, you know, they were the uh, the voices on, on the radio. And I was constantly listening to the radio and watching games on TV and, and figuring, okay, oh, this is a real job. Okay, I, I this is something that people actually do. And as I started to get more comfortable on the radio and enjoy doing it, this is what I wanted to do. So set out the goal. You know, uh, I went to college, studied communications. I got an internship at WFAN in 1991 and it changed my life. Um, I, they hired me back in 1993 and I've been here. This is my 30th year at the radio station. Worked my way up. Uh, baseball has always been my favorite. Um, I've, made, I've made a career and a life in radio. And uh, fortunately, it's, you know, I, I'm still able to do that. And, you know, thankful that people like you listen and, and, um, you know, like to hear what I have to say. So, yeah, it's, um, it's been a life's ambition to just be on the radio. And, uh, you know, people now have more tools to do it, like what you have. I mean, you can, you know, you can start up podcasts and, and videos and things like that, and have more tools for it. I was fortunate enough to have a radio station in, in my school district that, you know, kind of really, um, spurred that on at a young age for me and uh hopefully i get to keep doing it for a few more years you do a fantastic job sweeney uh i know we both told you off air we're both fans we both love listening to what you do i live in miami and i listen to you using the odyssey app and even before the odyssey app and all that became available i used to listen on the internet you know, going to WFAN.com, like I, I made it a point that even though I don't listen to New York radio, you know, in New York, I made it a point to listen because you guys are just that good. So we appreciate you. Um, my final question for you, um, what's your fondest memory working for WFAN so far in your illustrious career in, in New York City? Any memorable calls, interviews, studio guests? What stands out to you? And uh, what's your best John Sterling story? <laughs> uh, um, it's, listen, so many memories. I mean, you know, 30 years goes by in a hurry, right? Um, at the Yogi Berra golf outing, I ran into Bernard King, 
former New York Nick legend, right? Bernard did a radio show with us in 1994, 95. He did a show called Friday Night Hoops. And, uh, you know, the Knicks were, uh, you know, a great team back then. And, you know, we would talk basketball. And I was producer for that show on Friday night. And I caught up with Bernard. And, like, he, you know, we finally remembered those shows back then um, when Ewing and Starks and the Knicks were, uh, were such a great story. And being able to work with him, that was at the time, was such a great highlight. Now, looking back, it's like, wow, still an amazing highlight. Just reminiscing with him about it on Monday. Um, covering 22 years so far, New York Yankees baseball and seeing legendary players like, you know, I, 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 I'm fortunate that I got to see uh, such a great chunk of Hall of Fame careers of Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera. You know, I saw Joe Torre at this outing and, you know, learning baseball from him uh, the first seven years of my career covering the Yankees, uh, where you talk to the manager twice a day, every day, you learn a lot. And there are people in the Hall of Fame who I'm on a first name basis with. I mean, that's amazing, right? I grew up, you know, as a baseball fan. And now like this is, you know, this is what happens. So it's, it's really cool. Those are some of my fondest memories really. And, and things I can pass on to my family and uh, just make, make a life, make a living still doing this is really cool. Any John Sterling stories for us or. I, yeah. I mean, listen, it's just fabulous getting to sit in, you know, in, in the same booth with him and talk to him. And um, the, again, when I talk about being around people who's hall of fame, you know, hall of fame careers, John Sterling's another one, you know, he's going to, you know, have a, a seat in Cooperstown at one point in time. And same with Susan Waldman. So, you know, the fact that I get to share some airtime with people who are, you know, Hall of Famers and uh, phenomenal broadcasters. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's, it's a blessing. Well, Sweeney, uh, I, I appreciate you, you know, taking the time to, to come on our show today. And thank you so much. Uh, that's, you know, that's going to be a wrap for, from us uh, on, Episode 20, the Jorge Posada episode, that's what we're calling it, <laughs> of the Hottest Gina podcast um, from, from me, Enrique, John, who unfortunately couldn't, couldn't be here, and special guest Sweeney Murdy. Thanks so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Go Yanks.